0: Well, how much longer is he going to talk, so i got to get to Costco, and then i got to watch NASCAR, i got to you know, watch four left turns all afternoon, you know, and uh, it's just the things that, you know, we get caught up in. But there's, going into today, it was like, you know, no, I want to worship, I want to worship God, I want to praise Him, I want to thank Him, and we're alive, we're alive to worship Him. And to enjoy him and to tap into what he is tapping into us for. And that's really where the book of Acts comes along. And so, you know, we see that, you know, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord. So the table set for today, that was what was so exciting. There, there's, there's something that God wants to do today in this church, in this place. I'm not worried about what he's doing everywhere else. I pray that he is, but I, my concern is, you know, that we're here today. That it's, you know, <laughs> we're here because we want to be here. We're here because God has led us here, and we're in one accord. That's so essential when you look at this, that, that Pentecost had fully come. There was a lot behind that, and so we'll take a look at that this morning. And our prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would fall on this place, that he would baptize me and you afresh today for the work that he has for us. Because I can tell you this, the work that needs to be done in this country today with the division and the hatred, the racism, the injustice, all the things that are happening, it's too big for me. It's too big for you. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know, Pastor Mike, I mean, what can I do? I'm just one person. And again. It's the beauty of this message in this is it says that then they were all together in one accord. There is strength in numbers, there's strength in being in hearing this. This is a collective message to all of us, but also it's an individual message because when the Holy Spirit came, he didn't just come on the group, he came on them individually. And I believe that God wants to baptize each and every one of us afresh today. That he wants to fill us with power from on high. Not that we would go out, as we'll read in the book of Acts in chapter 1, to go out and do anything for him. He said, you'll be a witness to me, not for me, to me, wherever you go in this world. But we need his strength and we need his power. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray this morning on this Pentecost Sunday. Lord, it's no accident that this is the Sunday that even our government allowed us to come back and to worship. But Lord, it's such a profound day in the life of the church. Lord, I pray today like the early church that we would recognize our need for your strength and your power in our life, that we wouldn't move from this place, that we'd continue to wait and wait and wait until, Lord, you fall on us, until you fill us, Lord. And Lord, we look forward to all that you have for us today. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Pentecost, simply, you know, it, it means 50. Um, it was seven weeks plus one after what? Passover, the Passover celebration. There's three major feasts that every Jewish male, 20 years and older, was required under the law to go back to Jerusalem. That's why they called it a pilgrimage because it didn't matter where you were at in the world. You could be in Africa, you could be in Iran, you could be in Iraq, you could be in Rome. It didn't make any difference. You were to make a pilgrimage Back to Jerusalem, first for Passover, then Pentecost, and then the Feast of uh, Booths, recognizing that God's faithfulness with the children of Israel there as they went through the wilderness experience together. And so here we are on Pentecost. This is coming into what is the celebration of Pentecost. And uh, again, something that uh, the prophet Joel prophesied would happen. It's something that Jesus had declared. Uh, was going to, in Acts chapter 1, that was going to occur not many days from now. And so they were in this waiting period. They were waiting. They were doing exactly what God had called them to do. And what I love about this, you know, is you, you have to think about, you know, why, why was it 50 days since Jesus' resurrection that the Holy Spirit was given, that the Holy Spirit was poured out? And, and you have to go back and, and read through the gospel accounts to get an understanding of it because it was so profound. Remember, Jesus is, you know, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but Jesus was truly the only person who, because Lazarus was going to die again, but Jesus was never to die again. He died once and for all, the Scripture tells us. And it says, and as our high priest, he what? He forever lives to make intercession for us. That's why we can come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need because God is listening. It's, you know, he loves us and he cares enough that he not only hears us, but he desires to hear us and he desires to answer the cries, the prayers of our heart. And so when you look at this, here we have Jesus after his resurrection. It says that he appeared to many he, big groups, 500, 100, twos, threes. Matter of fact, says he walked through the walls. You know, the disciples, where were they? It says they were in the upper room. It says out of the fear of the Lord. And what did Jesus do? It says he goes right through the wall, right? Comes right in. And he's like, you got something to eat? Because what he was demonstrating, because there was so much within the polytheistic religions of Jesus' day, they, it was so mystic that they believed that Jesus was a ghost. Remember with the disciples even in the boat, when Jesus came to them walking on water, It says they thought, is this a ghost? He was dispelling all the myths, he was all the fears, all the worries, all the doubts. He was walking with them. He was teaching them. He was instructing them. He wanted them to know God's plan, God's purpose, not only in his death and his burial and his resurrection, but what was the purpose of their very existence, which then carries over to me and you today, because there's probably not a one of us, church, that hasn't at some time or another laid in bed at night and wondered, why am I here what is the purpose of my life? We've probably gone through bouts of meaningless that we just thought, you know, really, I mean, what is the purpose for my life? And there is a tremendous purpose when you look at it. Jesus definitely wanted to prove his resurrection. He wanted people to see that, just as he said, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again, right? That they would see him risen from the dead. Because it would change everything about their life. It would take them from being cowards to becoming courageous men and women who saw him. Because he said, you know, because I live, you live. Remember he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he said, even though, you know, you would die, he said, you're not truly going to die. He said, because he believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he believes in me, what? Never die. And so they saw this, and that empowered them. Then they didn't live in denial of the truth of who Jesus was. They they were bold to be able to stand in the face of people and say, Jesus is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him, because everybody else is dead. If you're following any other religion, you're following a dead man. Jesus is the only one who forever lives. And they had that in their heart, and Jesus was teaching them and instructing them. But then you go back and you go, one, something else that we look at in chapter 1, if you look back there with me in verse 4, and it says, and being assembled together with them, it says, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. He was say, wait for the gift. He, he's going, I got something for you. I have plans for your life. They're to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. He wanted them, again, to look forward, just as he wants us to look forward to today. You know, Jesus said, you know, don't look back. And we tell people that, hey, don't look back on your past. As I was sharing with you, the enemy can only do what in your life? He cannot tell you the future. He can only take you back to your past. But Jesus can do what? Because of his omniscience. He can tell you everything that's going to occur in the future that He's going to save you, and that He's preparing a place for you. So the disciples knew all about these things. He had sat with them. They didn't have complete knowledge because they needed the Holy Spirit, just like you and I need the Holy Spirit. But they'd heard enough about the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the work that He would do, that He was coming to convict the world of sin and and of righteousness, and that He would be with us to be our comforter. He would be with us to give us power and to give us strength, uh, to give us wisdom, to give us understanding and how to make the right choices and how to navigate our, our, our way through this life. Verse 5 goes on in chapter 1, it says, For John truly baptized with water, he says, But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6 goes on, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because remember, they thought Jesus came to establish an earthly kingdom to overthrow, you know, the Roman government, you know, to take the, the religious leaders, you know, the, these false teachers in Judaism, to take them out and to establish, you know, the apostles that would become the apostles, his disciples, into power. That's why they were always arguing about, you know, who gets to sit at your right hand, who gets to sit at your left, and, you know, what's our position in this? And so they're wanting to know, okay, well, Jesus, are you, are you going to establish your kingdom? And so we could look at that today and we can get, we can think of prophecy, right? God, tell us the future. When are you going to establish your kingdom? And look what Jesus tells them. It would be the same thing that he's telling us today. It's not that it's not important to to want to know these things, but it's not the major thing. The major thing is what's right here in front of us here and now. That's the most important thing. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because it's not here. Don't worry about yesterday because what? It's gone. But focus on what? Today. I love it. Sufficient are the troubles for today. Amen. (laughs) Amen. He says in verse 7, chapter 1, he says, And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put under his own authority. What's he want him to do? Focus on not the when, but the now. He says, But, but. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so what did they do? They waited. By a show of hands, how many like to wait here? Anybody likes to wait? You know? Man, no. Nobody nobody likes to wait. But there's something about the waiting. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Love is what? Patient, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. Waiting, waiting, holding out, holding on, not quitting, not giving up. You know, you'll you'll never know when you walk away, when you quit something, you'll never know what could have been, could you? And how many ta- how many, you know, you think in your own life, when you decided and you determined, I'm not gonna quit, I'm not gonna give up. And you praise God today that you didn't because you saw you know, again, that he took you through to the other side. There was a lesson that he wanted to teach you. But it demonstrates we can be so selfish, so self-contained and thinking that, you know, we know, that we understand. You know, we, it's amazing how God's will really gets wrapped up in our will if you think of the things that we want as opposed to saying and praying as Jesus taught us to pray, not my will but thine be done. There in Acts chapter 2 again, so when you look at, you know, verse 1, it says, so as they waited and they waited, what were they doing? While they were waiting and while we're waiting, we know that the Lord is going to return one day. We know that he's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to restore his kingdom. He's coming to reverse the curse, you might say. And what would it was like in the Garden of Eden, he's going to restore that to us. But not today. Not today. He says, when the day of Pentecost, there in verse 1, had fully come, they were And here's what we have to guard it's being in one accord in one place. Like I said, I so love technology, but it's not God's plan A. This is God's plan A that we come together, we meet together face to face. That's why Jesus came, you know, you said, you know, you can know about God without Jesus ever coming into this world, right? The Bible says creation speaks of the glory of God. You can look at the stars, you can look at the trees, you can look at bugs, you can look at animals, you can even look at other people. But it won't explain God. Jesus is the only one who could explain God. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We believe in a triune God who's represented in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct personalities in one Godhead. And it's such a beautiful thing, you know, when we we start to understand it. And here's Jesus, you know, going, I want you to understand, yes, it's for everybody here, but it's for you individually. He doesn't just love the church corporately. He loves the church personally. He loves you. He loves me. He's loved us with an everlasting love. And he wants us to receive power. Why? He said to be witnesses Unto him, and, and to be witnesses unto him, where? And you think, you know, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the world. And so you think about what was he telling the church then? And it's so profound to me that this day, Pentecost Sunday, here we are gathering together, and you look around the world today. You go, the world is a mess. The world is in shambles. The world is divided. The, the world, you know, I mean, you think about, like I said, the injustice that we see, uh, that we've experienced in our own lives, the racism that exists, not just in this country, but around the world. And you think about, here's Jesus going, but you, 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 you are part of the solution or you're part of the problem. If, and it's only if, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, can we fulfill the very purpose of God to be able to think about it? Jerusalem's easy in one sense, right? You go, oh, you'll, you'll be a witness to me in Jerusalem. So we'd say, well, Jerusalem is our own household, right? And then Judea, we'd say, well, that's our you know, extended family, maybe our neighbors, you know? And then you go Samaria, and you go, ooh, Samaria? What is Samaria? Well, if you think about it in Scripture, who were the Samaritans? They were considered what? Half breeds, right? They were half Jewish, half Gentile. Did the, did the Jews, who were no more pure than the, than really the Samaritans, they were just prejudiced. Prejudice is in the heart of man. Racism is in the heart of man. And they didn't want anything to do with them. Remember John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Oh, you, know, you Jews, you worship you know in Jerusalem, we worship you know over here. We have nothing to do with one another. Isn't that really the kind of the the message in the world today. Hey, you just do your thing, you know, over there and I'll do my thing over here. And you think about what the book of Ephesians says, but Jesus came to do what? To break down every wall that exists between races and, and whether it's social, economical, whatever division that there is. And you look around the church today, you know, I mean, we have all kinds of people. We've got, you know, that song, you know, it was, it was actually people hated it, you know, short people, remember? You go, there's, ch- churches. got, we've got short people, we've got tall people, we've got skinny people, we've got heavy people, we've got smart people, we've got intellectual people, we've got, you know, uh, other people, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, my friends, yeah, me, you, yeah. Um, you go, but, and it's, how how does God bring that kind of a group together? You go, only through His blood. Amen? Only through His death, only through His resurrection can God accomplish that. And you go, does the church, you know, or, or does the world, in a sense, does it need the church today like never before? Absolutely. And you go, but I look at this, and, and I, I think, you know, and again, if you're a note taker, write these, these verses down and go read them and study them for yourself. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Let me just remind us, I'll just read two verses there, 12 and 13, it says that at the time you were without Christ, there was a time I was without Jesus in my life and so were you. And it says being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. Do you remember what it was like to have no hope in your life without Jesus? Because once you got Jesus, you got hope. But there was a time when I was hopeless in my life and I felt it. I understood it. Jesus said you are without hope without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, who you were once far off had been brought near by what? The blood of Jesus Christ. He saved us. But see... I could never get to where God wants me to be. I love this. You know, like I said, I, I would only hope and pray that something I'll say today would stick within your heart, the magnitude of this day, Pentecost Sunday, and exactly what the world is experiencing today and the hope that God has that you and I, that we would begin to understand and comprehend like never before that we are God's plan A. There is no plan B. That God chose the foolish things Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter one, he chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. The world, you know, looks at the church and they cannot figure it out. The government couldn't figure it out. They relegated us to what? Phase three. You know, said we weren't essential. How many like being reminded that you're not essential? Is there anybody in here? You, you go, I, I love, you know, hey, you're not essential. I just want you to know that. And you have people that, you know, and fortunately because they know how how soft pastors' egos are, they got to be, you know, relegated to the first, you know, group of people um, to do live streaming events. But the church itself, you know, was, if you were a parishioner, you know, you became phase three. So the church as a whole, you go. that was an offense to me. Because God doesn't, you know, and... And again, and I want to share some things here. I I understand racism. I understand prejudice. I had those things in my own heart. I understand them full well. But I want you to understand something. All lives matter to Jesus, okay? And that's important that we understand that. Every life. Who did Jesus die for on the cross? Everyone. God so loved the world. And that does not diminish, you know, that black lives matter, brown lives matter, yellow lives matter, red lives matter, whatever group color I forgot, your life matters too. You know, every life matters to God. And yet we see it in Scripture. Like I said, to make it to Samaria, if you and I are going to move forward today from this place, and like I said, it's so profound. This is Pentecost Sunday. The world is experiencing racism and prejudice and justice like never before. I mean, yes, we've had events, but not to the degree that we're seeing it on a worldwide scope. And you go, why? And you go, because the end is near. The division is greater than it's ever been before. All the more reason why we need to sit here and wait and wait and wait until what? The power of God comes upon us because we cannot move from this place. In the disciples' church, they began to understand it. As Jesus sat with them, they were reminded. Remember, you know, when uh, there was a demon-possessed, you know, person and the disciples, you know, couldn't cast that demon out and they came to Jesus and he said, oh, you know, by the way, that only comes out by what? Prayer and fasting. Oh. They saw it. They didn't ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, teach us how to preach really well. Jesus, how to, how to, you know, heal people. That was really neat. Or how to, you know, multiply bread so that it feeds four or 5,000 people. No, they he said, Lord, teach us to pray. And you think about that in your own life. Of all the skills that you have as a Christian, what is the depth of your prayer life before God? And I mean quality and I mean quantitative too. What is that before God? Or is that the thing that, that drives our life? Because Jesus said that's what should. The the disciples recognize that they go, God, you know, of all the things that we need to major in, I pray that you'd help us because we know that it's your prayer life is the source of your power. This was a prayer meeting, church, and I love this as we were coming today. It said about 120 were in that upper room. You know, our governor, I was hoping hoping that he'd say, "Uh, churches can only be 120 or less. I was like, yes just the number itself, right? You imagine a bunch of pods all around the world today gathering in a, groups of 120 on Pentecost Sunday? Imagine the possibilities that could happen for me and for you to be able to come into the church and pray and to wait and to be on in one accord. That's the key. See, God can't move when there's division. He can't, you know, he, there's no way to win. Think about it as a team. If you got one guy, one gal on your team, who's pulling against the team, who doesn't believe in the team, you go, what are they going to do? They're going to kill the team. You ever heard the expression, you're only as strong as your weakest link? You go, yeah, that's why we need the power of God. That's why we need the strength of God. And it says, and they were, they came together and it says, and they were all in one accord. You know what? There, there was more than 120 that started in that upper room. But you know what happens in the waiting? In the waiting? You know, people do this. They go, oh, I've waited long enough, right? I've waited for them to change. I've waited for this. I've waited for that. I've waited, 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 waited. You know, and then what? They make a choice. So they decide. What, did God ever tell you to stop waiting? Does, is there anything in Scripture that says quit waiting? Have you found a passage that goes along with it that says, hey, quit waiting, quit waiting? No, it's wait. And when you've waited, you what? You wait some more. But what? Love is patient. And when you're no longer loving, you're no longer patient. And that's the world that we live in. We want it now. Our computers are too slow. You think about that. My microwave is too slow. You stand in front of it. You know, you know watching it doesn't make it go faster? It's really, it's really true. But I want you to think about this. If we're going to make it into this next level, into the Samaria of our life, remember, that's the area where we have to cross the social barrier. That's where we have to cross over into those areas that are really uncomfortable in our lives that deal with the issues of injustice and racism you know, in this country. We need to pray today that God would wake up the church. I don't want to create an offense in what I'm about to say because it wasn't part of what led me to want to teach on Pentecost Sunday, but it just fell in all of our laps today. What we saw you know, over the last month you know, with two black men that have been killed in our country, one shot as he was jogging through you know, a neighborhood, the other murdered by a police officer right there in, in public. Where people, you know, could see it. George Floyd. They're crying out, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And so sad, you know, at the end of his life, you know, as many human beings do, right when they're dying, as their last words are, Mama, Mama. He was crying out to his mama, who was already passed away, Mama help me. And we're watching this take place in this country. And to me, the church, we, we're at a crossroads as a church. We're here today, and you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. We're either that officer, and I would say, none of us want to be that officer who had our, our knee on the neck you know, of George Floyd. But we could be like those other three officers who stood around and did nothing, who watched. And as I, I, I was watching that, you know, I was reminded, you know, the Apostle Paul's words was interesting, you know, again, it was just something, you know, that I, I was thinking about in Romans chapter 1, uh, and you can read it for yourself, but uh, where God gave, you know, men over to a reprobate mind, they began to do things within themselves that were despicable, they were disgusting. But what was interesting, you know, in, in Romans chapter 1 It says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Those three police officers stood by and watched, so their silence was what? Was a vote of approval. It was a vote of approval for what that other officer was doing. And then there was other people. It doesn't stop there. I mean, there's other people that were watching that could have stepped in. And people said, I thought that maybe I would do it, but they didn't. And I wonder, you know, for the church today, if we're going to be the effective witness that Jesus wants us to be, if we're ever going to reach Samaria, and that's the place where we're at today as a country in the United States of America, then what is it going to take in our lives for us to cross that barrier? It's going to be only by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only going to be as the Spirit of God overflows your life and He gives you a love for all people of all colors, of all creeds, of all religions, regardless of what side of the tracks they live on, that we don't, you know, put one class over another. It was so interesting, you know, as as uh, I watched this, you know, unfold. There was a the statement by actor Will Smith. He said, "Racism isn't getting worse; it's just getting filmed." And it's true racism is, is rooted in this country. And, and people would say, well, you know, and it, again, no one person represents, you know, any one particular group. There's bad police officers, bad Christians, there's bad pastors, there's bad, you know, business owners. There's, there's, there's something in every group. There's, there's something, you know, again, that, that breaks what the norm is. But my point in all this Is that we'd have a a greater understanding and a compassion for why black people feel the way that they do. I was listening to a, a pastor yesterday, and it was interesting. I wrote down some notes. He said, You know, many minorities live with the belief that white people have more power than black people, and this was a black pastor. It says, because they see things happening around them all the time. And I I paraphrase this as I was listening. The message that the black community hears loud and clear is that they are powerless. And that they just need to say, thank you, Massa. And then just take it. And I understand that. There was something else, you know, where I began to understand it myself a little bit more. I had to think about this as what offended me so much about the governor's mandate, you know, that we couldn't gather in place. Was it my constitutional right? Was it my, you know, just exercising my rights, you know, as a human being? Nobody can tell me you know, what I can and can't do, and especially when it comes to the church. And and I got a taste like many of you, because I got to talk with you, that you were angered and you were frustrated because the government stepped in and took away a freedom that was yours, a freedom that was guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States of America. And you felt, and maybe just a, a glimpse, not even to the fullest, Degree that could possibly be felt. But for a moment, we got to feel what it was like to be powerless. We got to feel what it was like to have one group think that they were more important than another group. And many black people in this country today feel that white people think that they're more valuable than they are, that they're essential. I talked to many people who were offended that they were deemed non essential, it hurt their feelings. That someone else would tell you that you're not essential. Well, that's how many of our, our black friends live each and every day of their life. As if white people think that they don't matter. That they are powerless. And then people go, well, look what they're doing. And there's no excuse for rioting, for mayhem, and destroying all the things. You go, but something happens finally in a heart and soul of a person that they finally snap. That they're, they're, they just, in a sense, like Rosa Parks in the back of a bus says, I can't take it anymore. And said, I'm not going to get up and give my seat to a white man. And in her rebellion, it gave birth to the civil rights movement. And yet, you know, many people who claim to be law, you know, abiders and how we're supposed to obey the government, you go, think of all the people who stood by, you know, because it was the law of the land that you could have a slave, and slave didn't have any rights. And they would just justify that. Thank God there were people that are willing to stand up against the government, stand up for what is truly right, and to suffer that persecution, to suffer even death, if need be. For what? For the benefit of other people. God has the church in the world today to defeat racism. And one of the things I, I love about the church is I look out. You know, we're a church, you look at our worship team and, you know, we've got, you know, white, we've got brown, we've got black, we've got, if we've been out in the sun and we're not, we're red, so we do have some of that, you know. But we, ha- we, have, we have every, in the sense, you know, person represented in the life of this church and you go why because of the blood of Jesus but it can't be that it's limited to the walls of the church God wants to drop on this place, he wants to bring wholeness into our lives and he wants to bring us to a place that we appreciate afresh his power that makes it possible for us to live the life that he's called us to Because I don't know about you, but I've watched the news as of recent, and I've felt hopeless in that regard, helpless, that there's no hope for, you know, the world out there in that regard without Jesus, and to feel helpless in the sense of how do we do anything about it? We're just, you know, we're just one person, but one person can make a difference. That's what it takes is one person who's willing to stand up, who then, you know, encourages and exhorts others to stand up. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit fell, the church grew from 120 people to 3,000. When people came to a place where they repented of their sins, when they no longer lived for themselves but determined to live for God. And the world has never been the same. The book of Acts says, you know, of the church, the Christians, it says, these men who turned the world upside down. The world needs to be turned upside down today. Would you agree? And who is it? Who is it? If it's not me and it's not you. Today, for me, it's the rebirth of the church. The things that God is calling this church to do, what He's calling me and what He's calling you to do, you cannot do and I cannot do in my own strength. It is beyond us. It will take the power of God in our life to accomplish the work of God in our life. And like, you know, the disciples here on this day, as we wait on the Lord, my hope and my prayer is there would be, like in the disciples' life, a recognition that we can't live this life without him. I, I believe so many of us do. I, th- I think we, you know, we, we believe, uh, I won't get into this today, I'm gonna, I'll share it next week, I'm just going to continue on in this, because I, I really... Like I said, I know the Lord, there's so much that he wants us to, to glean from this understanding of Pentecost Sunday. But it was interesting, and, and you might read this for yourself because I'm going to make this the focus of, of next week. You know, the disciples that were there in the upper room, they, they knew what life was like without Jesus. Remember, Peter took his eyes off Jesus, and what did he do when he got out of the boat? He sank, right? Peter became fearful when he was confronted by a a woman who, a little girl, actually, who just said, hey, you're one of Jesus' followers, and he cowered to that. Thomas doubted. You think of all the things that, you know, the disciples, they didn't even know how to fish correctly. They'd fish, and Jesus told them, throw the net on the other side of the boat, you know. They, they weren't good at anything, really, in the truest sense, apart, apart from Jesus. They all, the night that Jesus was going to the cross, where he was beaten, scourged, Says Jesus said, you'll all, you'll all depart, you'll all forsake me, and they all did. And so here they are on Pentecost, and they're recognizing all these things as they're waiting. It's one of the things about waiting, you get to think you know, you get, that's one of the things that was good about the silver lining of the COVID virus. You get to think about how really deep is my walk with God? How, how other-centered am I? You know, am I truly living for, you know, the benefit of other people, or is it about me? Am I trying to save my life? Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you know, you're, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. The most satisfied people during this COVID pandemic were the people who were on the front line, who made serving other people the priority of their life, who determined to be a blessing. And being a blessing, you received a blessing because we can't outgive God. And here they are, the Pentecost, waiting on God. And so it reminded me of this and I'll take you there. I only have three months of notes here that I'm going through, so it was in Second Kings chapter 13. You you can write this down and go study it for yourself. It was King Joash of Israel when he came to Elisha. And you remember, you know, as he did, Joash was considered a, a sinful and an, an evil king. But Joash, he wasn't a a worshiper of the false gods. He was a false worshiper of the one true God. And so he had a, you know, he wanted to honor God and he wanted to honor Elisha. And so right before Elisha dies, he tells him to do something. And he tells him to take the arrows out of his quiver and to beat him on the ground. And so I'll have you read that story because it, it really says something about us trusting God. And believing God and going all in with God, and what we'll find here, you know, is, is Joash. You know, he strikes the ground uh, with his arrows three times, and it says and angered the man of God. It angered Elisha because he told him. He said, you know, you should have, you should have hit the ground five or six times. Just kept hitting the ground, and he said ultimately, he said, you know, you're, you're going to defeat the Syrians three times, but that's it for the three times he hit the ground. But you won't defeat them. Ultimately. And I, I think about this with Pentecost. See, Pentecost, in order for you and I to truly, truly experience the fullness of God is we've got to empty ourselves completely. We've got to go all in. There can't be a plan B. Because if you and I have a plan B, that plan B will become our plan A. And that's what I want to share with you next week. And so I wanted to just give you that to, to think about. If, if you want... To be able to not just worship God, but experience the fullness of your life in Christ, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost, or as Billy Sunday would say, to the guttermost parts of the world, then we've got to do exactly what the Apostle Paul said of himself. He said, It's no longer I who lives in Galatians two twenty. He said, But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, he said, I live for the Son of God who gave himself for me, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to experience a fresh Pentecost in my life and I know that means confessing my sin to God. That means emptying myself of myself and saying, God, I cannot live this life that you've called me to. I cannot do the work that you've called me to do in my flesh. I I can only do it by your spirit. And God says, when you approach him that way, the Holy Spirit will come. You can't fill somebody who's full of themselves. But if we empty ourselves, God will fill us. And that's what he wants to do, that we'd make a difference, that we'd break down the walls of racism, of social injustice, all these things that exist in our world today, that we could go to any person, any place, any time, and say to them, Jesus Christ is king of kings, and he's Lord of lords. He came, he lived, he died, and he rose again for you. And so today as we receive communion, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come back, I want you just to take a moment here, and maybe you can think through these things today. I I had some questions here I want to give you. Just as we prepare our heart for communion, Number one, if the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what is it that you're finding that you're unable to do? Is there anything that you're unable to do today in your life? You go, I, I, I want to do this, but I'm, I find myself incapable. And let the Lord show you that. The second thing, you know, the Bible says we're to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. But Let me ask you this. Is there any area of your life that you're not loving him completely? Is there anything that you're holding back from him? And we'll talk more about that next week when we talk about King Joash and why he possibly struck the ground only three times and not more. What was he holding back? What was he afraid of? Number three, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Let me ask you this. Is there anything in your life that you're struggling with because you're trying to control your future? God would say, let it go. Number four, is there any sin that you're trying to overcome in your own strength? Know this, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As John would tell us, you know, that if we say we have no sin... (laughs) We're calling God a liar. But if we confess our sin, and we need to do that as we prepare for communion, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Waiting on God, asking Him today to give us dunamis power, dynamic power, that we could live a life that's effective for the kingdom of heaven. I need a fresh baptism. And maybe you do too. I can't think of a better Sunday than Pentecost Sunday to just wait on him. And so we're going to pray as the worship team leads us. You can see the the cups there on the tables There's here and then there are there on the sides as well. And just spend some time waiting on the Lord today, asking him to fill you afresh today, to baptize you with power from on high that we could live a life that glorifies him and is good for all mankind, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege, and again, what a privilege it is to come here and to worship you, to love you together, to sing of your praise, and Lord, to think it's Pentecost Sunday where, Lord, you poured out your spirit upon the church that your power and your presence would be with us always. You said to go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching all the things that you commanded us. And you said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, that nothing can separate us from your love. May that power fill us today. May the security of our faith Lead us forward, Lord, in triumph. May you lead us to to people who don't know you, that need you. May we be willing in boldness to stand up for you in any situation and circumstance, Lord, to every group of people, Lord, that walks the face of this earth until every heart hears that Jesus is Lord. God, fill us, Lord. Fill us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I'll invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship the Lord. And then as you come, you know, again, just practice social distancing. Uh, Grab uh, the elements of communion there and take those back to your seat. And just enjoy, enjoy worshiping the Lord today. Let Him, invite Him to fill you. Don't leave this place until He has filled you with Himself. Amen. Amen. Let your glory fall, as on that ancient day, songs of enduring love, and then your glory